In the mornings, we're talking about biblical hope. What's the difference between earthly hope and biblical hope? Little reminder here. Earthly hope, two key words. What are they? Who remembers? Desire, uh, integrator mixed with uncertainty. You're not sure it's going to happen. You really want it, but you're not sure it's going to happen. Biblical hope, on the other hand, starts with what? Certainty. You know it's going to happen because God promised it, but it has included what? Waiting. We have to wait for it to happen. I am 100% certain that I am going to heaven. My certainty is there not because I think I'm good enough, but my certainty completely relies on Jesus and his promises and his power and what he's done. So therefore... I'm confident. I'm confident in him, not in me. But I'm not in heaven yet. I'm really not in a hurry. Now, people that know me might think that I'm in a hurry to get to heaven. (laughs) Um, I, I actually have many stories where I should have died. Like, really died. Like, I can't wait to tell you. In fact... I think tomorrow I'm going to tell one of those stories. Um, what's today? Wednesday? Yeah, Thursday. Tomorrow evening I'll be telling one of those stories where, man, I should have been dead. But I'm in no hurry. But I know that I'm going to be in heaven. And I can't wait. So here's the question. This idea of biblical hope. Is biblical hope something that we just recognize in ourselves? Like, Like when we... We experience biblical hope. When I have that trust, I can look at it and say, oh, hey, that's biblical hope. My salvation. I know I'm going to heaven. I can recognize that that's biblical hope. Or is biblical hope actually a choice that we make? I choose to live by biblical hope or I'm driven by earthly hope. Is it a choice? Do you have a choice in the matter? What are your thoughts? What do you think? Do you think it's a choice or do you think it's just something you can recognize when it happens to you? What do you think? Yeah, it's a choice. You choose to live by biblical hope. When you get into that difficult circumstance, you're like, man, I'm really feeling nervous inside. I'm upset. I feel like I don't know what's going to happen. I'm confused. And you say, wait a minute. Those are feelings that go along with earthly hope. I need to give those desires over to God. And if, if it's something I'm afraid I won't have, maybe God doesn't want me to have it. And if God doesn't want me to have it, then maybe I shouldn't have it. And that's the end of that. I just, if God doesn't want me to have it, then I don't want it either. You understand? It's a choice. You can say, wait a minute, I choose in this circumstance to live by biblical hope. Now, my, my goal for you this morning is to give you some reasons why you would want to choose to live by biblical hope. They really help you. And it goes, it goes hand in hand with what we're going to be talking about tonight in our, in our group session with everybody, where we're talking about the joy of the Lord is your Strength. You know the verse, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it talks about there's a joy 
If it's the joy of the Lord, where does that joy come from? The Lord. Can it come from anywhere else? No, it can't come from anywhere else. There's a joy that comes only from the Lord. And that joy, that happiness gives us what? Strength. How many of you want to be weak and knocked around and pushed around and scared and live in fear? Nobody. How many of you want to be courageous? You want to be confident? Yeah? You want that kind of strength? It comes from joy. It comes from being happy. Where does that come from? It comes from living in biblical hope. So that's how that fits in today. Watch uh, as we, we go through some things. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Isaiah in chapter 61. And I'm going to try to help us understand the benefits of choosing to live in biblical hope because you have that choice. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, I'll wait just a moment. I still, still hear some pages rustling and you're getting there and I want you to be able to see this and follow along. So I'll give you just a moment. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Isaiah is saying this. He's like, he, he recognizes that what's happening and what he's saying and what he's understanding goes beyond human reason. And it's the Holy Spirit coming on him and, and helping him to see these things. And he says, because the Lord has anointed me to, now watch this, to proclaim good news to the poor. I want you to think about this for a moment. He is called to proclaim good news to who? The poor. Well, if you're, if you're living in poverty, is that good news or bad news? That's bad news. And yet God, through the Holy Spirit, anointed Isaiah, go share good news with the people in poverty. Now, we think, oh, of course, because when we go share the gospel, the good news, uh, with the people in poverty, we're sharing how to be saved, and that's way more important than earthly treasures. And that's true. But think about it from his perspective. Way back there, Jesus hasn't even come yet. What is the good news that he's sharing with them? Because the Lord had anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness for the, for the prisoners. Now, let me just stop and ask you a question. The kind of people that Isaiah was anointed by God to go and proclaim all these good things to or what kind of people? Poverty, prisoners, brokenhearted. Those are the people that sometimes think God is not paying attention to them. Where is God when I'm brokenhearted? 
Where's God when injustice is being done to me and I'm being locked up for something? And it may not be for you. It may not be locked up in prison, but it might be locked up in a circumstance, a situation, a home life, or at school with classmates or with friends. Something's going on where you just, this is totally unfair. It's not my fault. I can't do anything about it. I feel blocked in. And you don't have the strength in yourself to be able to break those chains. They're just too strong. Where is God? For these people in Isaiah's day, God was there watching. And he anointed Isaiah and he said, Isaiah, I want you to be a proclaimer of these good things to these people. So Isaiah was excited about it. In fact, when you think of the mood of Isaiah here, when, when he says, God anointed me to be the proclaimer of these things, was he like complaining? Like, yeah, God made me the one that has to go to the poor and the brokenhearted. All they do ever do is cry. <laughs> you know, is that what he's saying? No, he's like, guess what? God anointed me to be the bearer of good news to people that are hurting. Now, I want you to think about that situation for a minute. Let's say those that are in prison. Because he said, uh, or let's, say, let's start with those that are in poverty. He says to proclaim good news to the poor. When you think about bringing good news to the poor, what do they really need? I mean, come on, let's think about it. If somebody's poor, what do they need? Money, right? So God looks down at the need of this person in poverty, and does he say, Isaiah, I anoint you to take money to those in, poor, in poverty. Is that what he says? Well, that's not very nice, is it? If you're trying to live by earthly hope, that's not enough. It doesn't meet my need. My need is that I'm living in poverty and you're, you're not giving me any money. But if you understand biblical hope, this is all going to make sense. The question is, what do these people really need? You might think that those that are in poverty need money. Those who are in prison or in darkness need to escape. But what does God anoint Isaiah to do? What's the word? Who can find it? What does God anoint him to do? Give me the verb. Give me the word. Proclaim. Just go and talk to him. Tell them the good news for the poor. Tell them there's freedom for the captive. Tell them there's escape and deliverance for the prisoner. Now here's the question. When will all of this take place? Look back at Isaiah 61. 
I'm going to read it again, verse 1, and then go into verse 2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to proclaim release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. When is that? Is that going to happen today to make the rest of this life better? No. He says, proclaim the good news because at the end, at the very end, everything's going to be judged accurately. And if you were held in prison all this time for, the, for injustice, it's going to work out. Now, that doesn't sound like good news if you want out now. It doesn't sound like good news if I want out of poverty now. And he's saying, yeah, you might be in poverty, but in the end, if you live for the Lord, you're going to have mansions in glory. Yeah, that's all good and everything, but what about now? So the point is, when we look at this, is he's saying, if you're focused on the here and now, biblical hope might be disappointing to you. Because you want it now. But when you have the right attitude and you understand biblical hope, the things I really want, the things worth living for, the things that truly make somebody happy, he says those are all guaranteed at the end. You say, well, at the end, that's no good. Somebody help me out. Why is it good that it comes at the end and not now? Somebody have an answer for me? Yes, sir. Okay, so part of the problem is if I have everything now, I think, well, then I don't really need God anymore. I got everything I need. What's another reason? Ah, now he's touching on the key key point. He says, because you're going to have it longer in heaven. If I had it from now until the end, how long is that going to be? Not very long, is it? But if I have it from the end for eternity, how long is that? That's forever. All right, so, so that's why you're starting to get the idea of why biblical hope is more important. It's to proclaim these things that is going to happen in God's timing. Now, let me give you some benefits of this biblical hope. We choose to do it. We understand it's going to come later. It may not always feel like good news right now until we understand biblical hope. Then we get it and we say, ah, it's so much worth the investment because I'll tell you what, as real as your problems are today, Isaiah is saying the answer to those problems is far more real. God's got this. And so here are some things, if we understand biblical hope, that's going to help you with. And if you're taking notes, it's in your notes. Number one, because we must wait. Remember, that's part of biblical hope. It's what you desire mixed with, I mean, it's certainty mixed with waiting. So we have to wait for it. It forces on us 
an eternal perspective. Like this young man said, it's, it's because you have it for eternity instead of the temporary. It's spot on. When you have biblical hope, it forces us to consider the eternal perspective and not the temporal. Go to the New Testament, the book of Luke. <clears throat> Luke in chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Let me read this for you. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge and an arbiter between the two of you? Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You catch what Jesus is saying? They're saying, just be fair. The inheritance is supposed to go between us. All I'm asking for is justice. And Jesus said, why are you even worrying about that? That all relates to this life. That's all stuff that you have here. And that's going to disappear. Life is not about what you can accumulate he goes on to say, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. <coughs> and there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Good job. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared. Or no, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Very temporal view, temporary view. He said, I just want to have stuff for this life. And he stored up all that stuff. Then the question came to him, if you died tonight, who's going to get your stuff? Now let me ask you a question. When that question would have been given to that man, who's going to get your stuff? Do you think he was worried about that? Man, I, I see it all the time as a pastor. Families that get along until somebody dies and they argue over who gets the stuff. I've seen parents who are so worried about what's going to happen to their stuff. I know a man right now has got no family. He's got a beautiful farm. Really, really great man. I, lo I love him. But he's got no family and he says, when I die, he's, who's going to take care of my goats? Everything's gone. He has nobody to pass it on to. You see, the stuff in this life only lasts for a short time. Now, I know some other people, if you ask them, you know, what happened if the Lord took your life tonight and you had to leave everything behind? And I, I'll be honest with you, I'm one of those guys. Like, I like to have toys. In fact, yesterday, while we were here, I'm texting my daughter. I've been looking for a, a 
not a new, but new to me, ATV. I've got one of those Jeeps that we go down in the rivers with and that kind of stuff, a couple ATVs for all that kind of goofy stuff. Anybody else have ATVs and enjoy that stuff? A couple of you? I love that. I love that. I'm, I, I ride hard. And so I'm, I'm sitting up here. yesterday. I was um, in the meal over there and I'm like, uh, I just found one who wants to drive to Louisville and get it for me. And my son loaded up the truck and my daughter got the money and they went and bought me this ATV yesterday. You know, I'm all excited. I can't wait to go home and ride it. But I got to tell you something. If the Lord said, what good is it? Because I'm coming back tomorrow. I, I, I would leave a note that says to my neighbor, if I disappear, you can have this. Like, here's where I hide the keys. You can have it. Because when I'm gone, none of that matters to me. This is, this is just to enjoy this life. And if it's taken away, it's gone. Who cares? I know what's coming later. You see, because I don't live in the temporary, I enjoy the temporary, I enjoy the blessings that God gives us on this earth, but that is not why I live. With biblical hope, it drives us to this eternal perspective. The second thing, hope protects us from making wrong choices. I'm going to give you an illustration. Now, I know most of you, all of the, the campers here, you're not driving yet. But you might have an older brother or sister that uh, turns 16 or what, what, what age do you start driving here in Iowa? 14? You get your permit at 14? You, Iowa's awesome. We're like, like in Kentucky, it's like 16 when you get your permit if you've been really good, you know. Um, and, and when we were in Romania, you can't even think about a driver's license until you're 18. And, and so it's interesting. So, so you, let's say you get your permit at 14. When do you get your driver's license? You can drive by yourself. 16. Okay. So suppose that, that you get your permit and you practice driving and you're doing all this and, and, and your, your 16th birthday is coming up. You're not there. You're six months away from... No, let's do that. Let's say you turn 16, you get your license. And somebody hands you a voucher. And this voucher says, in one year from now, if you have no speeding tickets, you can turn this in for any brand new car you want. How many of you would like to have that voucher? Yeah, me too. Okay. So now let's say, you know, you're a, you're a good driver, you're being careful, you stay under the speed limit, and let's just assume you have no plan on ever speeding, and you don't. Let's, you're just going to obey the law. Let's say two months into this waiting, somebody comes to you and says, I got a truck. It's got some rust. It only has 312,000 miles on it has a beautiful shade of blue smoke that blows out the back. The radio works in one speaker. Sometimes when you hit a bump, you'll hear it. And it's wonderful. It uses tons of gas. I'll trade you for your voucher. Would you do it? 
Now, why, why, you jump to no too fast. Because if you keep the voucher, you still don't have a car. You have no freedom to drive where you want. You still have to wait months till you get it. But if you trade in that voucher for the keys to that vehicle, today you can drive where you want to drive. Mm, is it worth it? Some of you are going, yes, you're going to be losers all life long. I just want you to know that, you know, you're stuck in the mud. No, um, here's, we do this every day. God offers us great promises and we say, but we have to wait for them. Why should I wait? I'd rather have the joy of a relationship now than to wait to have that joy God's way. You see, there's so many times we do this same thing. But when you live by biblical hope, when you say, wait a minute, I know God has that voucher for me. I just have to be patient, wait for him to know when I'm ready for it. He'll know when the best time is for me to get that. He'll know exactly what I need, and it will be the best thing for me. See, when we live by biblical hope, we don't have to worry about those things. We don't stress over those things. We say, God has this, and there's no doubt about that. We don't wonder if God has this. We know God has this. So just living by biblical hope will keep us from making the wrong choices. It'll keep you from trading in what God has planned for you in the future just to have something right now. I could illustrate that in many ways, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do that in each one of your lives because it could be different for each one of you, but there may be something that you're going through right now and you know, yeah, it's not right and I have to compromise or I have to sin to get it, but I really want that thing. And let the Holy Spirit tell you right now that that's because you're living by earthly hope and and you're afraid you won't get it if you don't get it now. And so you're taking things into your own hands and saying, I'm going to make sure I get it. No, let go and say, okay, God, I want you to be in charge of what I have and when I have it. The third one, hope generates courage in the midst of trials. Look at the book of Psalm in, in chapter 33. Psalm 33 and verse 18. Love these verses. You see, most of the time that we sin, it's because we fear something. We fear not having what we wanted. We fear what people will think of us. We're afraid of, of not having our needs met. We're afraid of losing something. Fear often drives a, a bad choice. And if we would have courage and trust, it would change everything. And you feel better when you're living with courage rather than fear. And so read, listen to these verses, Psalm 33, 18, and see how biblical hope helps us to live in courage. Verse 18, Psalm 33, verse 18 says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him. They're not afraid of the world, they fear Him. 
and those whose hope is in his unfailing love. They absolutely believe that God loves them. And they should. Every single person in here, whether you feel loved or not by other people, even if you don't love yourself, you need to understand that God does love you. And he can help you to be more lovable if you'll let him. But verse 19 goes on to say, uh, their hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive even in famine, even when there's no food. When, when the, the facts are stacked up against me and there's nothing I can do, I'm not going to fear because I believe in God's love to sustain me. Verse 20, we wait in hope for the Lord. You see that? What do we do? We wait. Do we wait in fear? We wait in sorrow and depression. No, we wait how? In hope. With true joy and courage and faith because we know He has us. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice. You understand the rejoicing they're talking about is in the middle of a famine when you're about to die. We don't have to fear death. Because either God's going to bring me food and I'm going to live, or I'm going to die and go to heaven. What do I have to worry about? It's a win-win. And that's the attitude of those living in fear. It goes on to say, in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. See, that's the confidence the, the mixed with Waiting, it's all there. Verse 22, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. As we put our hope in him. Who does that? We do. We have the choice to put our hope in him and he will help us. I want to just go to one more passage of scripture and then I'll be done. And the, the last one I'm going to talk about is the, this biblical hope affects our mind to pursue holiness. Go to 1 John chapter 3, towards the end of the Bible. 1 John chapter 3, and I want to read the first three verses. You know, Paul even wrote, man, I... I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. I relate to that. Does anybody else relate to that? Yeah. Like, if you could just push the easy button and never sin again, like, I would push that button so fast. If I could just, a big red button, if you hit this, every ounce of desire to sin would be taken away. I'd be like, but God didn't make that easy button, did he? He says, no, I want you to figure out how to have a relationship with me so that you avoid sin. I want you to build into a relationship with me so that it becomes easier to avoid sin because you love me, not because you hit some button. 
Watch how biblical hope fits into this story. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. Man, that, that's a lot of love to adopt somebody. See what kind of love God must have for him to adopt you and call you his own child. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now, now, we are the children of God. And what we will be has not even yet been made known. Wait a minute. So our hope isn't even in what we know is going to happen. We just know it's good. I mean, really, what's our bodies going to be like in heaven? Read 1 Corinthians 15. They asked the same question, and they said, what a foolish question. You can't know. It's just what you have now is a seed, and when the seed dies, it becomes the full bloom of something better. That's what you're going to have. So what, what is it going to be like? I don't know, but it's going to be better. A lot better. That's all, that's all the information I need. And that's what, so this is where biblical hope is, is being shown in this text. Verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will... Uh, um, what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him do what? They purify themselves just as he is pure. When you understand that everything that you have, everything you're building for, the life that you want to live is all temporary. It's just, it's just the test. It's kind of a long final exam that really affects all of eternity. Then when you have this hope that says, but I know God loves me. I know he's adopted me. I know he's taken me to heaven someday. And I know everything else in between is just stuff. It's just going to go away. You start to realize, wow, um, I'm putting a lot of energy to live with stuff that I'm only going to have for a short time. I really should be putting my energy into the person I'm going to live with for all of eternity. Like, I, I really want that to go well it forces us to want to purify ourselves. You want the key ingredient to make it easier to get rid of sin, to say no to sin, and to say yes to righteousness? It's biblical hope. It's that confidence in your relationship with God that he's going to take you to heaven someday. So I, I, I hope that you're beginning to understand that biblical hope is more than just a definition of saying, oh, wow, I, it's pretty cool. I recognize in my life when there's earthly hope and I recognize when there's biblical hope. I'm trying to get you to see that biblical hope is a choice and it's a choice worth making because if you will learn that at your age right now, 
It's, it's like, uh, anybody play with lasers? I got one of those little green lasers that you make sure you don't point at a, you know, jets and things like that if you don't want to go to jail. If you just move the tip of that just, just that much, what kind of difference does that make out in the sky? For every little, like, little hair that you move it, it can move miles across the sky. Right now, the decisions that you make and the trajectory of your life is just like that. If you choose, well, I'm going to wait on biblical hope because I'm afraid if I do that, I might not have the fun I want to have or the experiences I want to have. You know, I'm going to continue to live by earthly hope. It may not seem like a big decision to you right now, but the difference is you're either going that way or that way. The choice right now is to live by biblical hope. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, uh, even in my weakness and trying to explain such uh, powerful truths, I pray that you would help every one of these campers to get it, to see how important biblical hope is, that they can have their confidence in you, that you are real. The next life living with you in heaven and the streets of gold and the pearl uh, gates and, and all, it's real. It's not just a made-up story to help us get through the day that you over thousands of years have presented this. And it's, it's, it's so true that if we could learn to live with that, it would save us from so many headaches when the world tries to capture our attention. Lord, I pray for these junior hires that you would help them to live by biblical hope. In Jesus' name, amen.